Welcome to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap for security performance management. Your hosts today are Chad Beckman and Alan Alford. Today they talk with Will Kluzowski with Avanade. Now let's get to it. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. This is your host, Chad Beckman, and joining me today is Alan Alford. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be here. Today, our guest is Will Klusovsky from Avedon. Will, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Will, uh, give our listeners a little background on kind of your history in security and kind of your passion about what you're doing and uh, more importantly, uh, what you're doing with Avedon today. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the cybersecurity space for a little over 20 years, I think 22 this month, actually. I started my career in the Marine Corps, uh, where I kind of found the the world of cybersecurity, realized that was going to be the next thing, and then dove headfirst into it. Um, over the last you know 15 or so years, I spent a lot of that time in consulting, working, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time helping CISOs, we're helping them work through their strategies, their roadmaps, you know, providing the thought leadership, you know, trying to solve their complicated problems. And that's, that's really what I enjoy. That's kind of where my passion comes from. You know, I've had a broad experience where I've worked through, you know, uh, most of your typical frameworks and, you know, compliance type of stuff, as well as, you know, doing things on the architectural technology side. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I sit and, and what I enjoy doing. So coming here to Avanade, we're uh, we're making a significant investment in our security practice today, and that's part of my charter coming here to grow what we're calling our strategy governance risk and compliance. So SGRC services, uh, you know, getting into doing kind of the stuff that I've spent a lot of my career doing, working with CISOs, helping them define strategy, get a plan in place before they start buying stuff, you know, make sure that they're spending their money in the right places. Uh, that's really what my, uh, my remit is here today. Well, we're very happy to have you on the show and it's been great to, uh, you know, get to know you over the last several months here in our conversations. And I'm excited about our conversation today, uh, which is focusing on the various, uh, I'll call it supporting roles of the information security program. Uh, talking about the business information security officer, the deputy CISO, as well as the virtual CISO and the different roles and scenarios that these positions play for an organization based on the journey of that organization through the security maturation cycle. Um, so as we get started here, um, let's maybe uh, kick it off to you, Alan, if you don't mind. And um, we've got some statistics here that you shared with me in advance of some of your uh, LinkedIn connections that I thought was pretty interesting on the breakdown of these roles. So. If you don't mind, I'm going to share a few of those here. Uh, the statistics for a, a B-cell, according to the Alan Alford LinkedIn uh, network, is um, uh, 213. Uh, you have about 452 virtual CISOs you're connected to, and about 4,300 deputy CISOs and 9,600 CISOs. So clearly, your network is pretty strong in the CISOs and deputy CISO arena. Um, you know, based on 
uh, kind of this uh, landscape here of the various roles, CISO, deputy CISO, BCISO, virtual CISO. What's your perspective if, as we kind of dive in how these different roles play, where they're relevant, where they're maybe not in terms of the size of the organization or the maturation of their security posture? Yeah, I guess there's a there's a couple of things there to unpack. I'll, I'll start with the actual stats themselves. One thing to keep in mind is that when you're searching in LinkedIn for the string CISO, you're going to likely pull up the VCSOs and the deputy CISOs as well. There's not a whole lot you can do about that. I try to accommodate for that by also searching for chief information security officer because you almost never see the V or the D in front of those. Um, you know, so so these are a little bit fuzzy numbers. But at the end of the day, um, connecting to CISOs and deputy CISOs has certainly been the bulk of what I've done. Uh, and I would argue that also um, CISOs are the most prevalent role of all. So you would expect them to be the high score on any statistical analysis. In other words, there's far more CISOs in the world than there are deputy CISOs, BISOs, and VCISOs. And, and I think that's to be expected. And I think that's because the trends in the industry in the last little while, you know, I don't know what the current percentage is of companies who don't have a CISO at all, but it's a shrinking number, right? Most companies have got one now, you know, know that they need one, even if they're a small organization, large organization, et cetera. But I think an organization has to get to a certain size and a certain maturity before some of the other roles make sense in terms of deputy CISO and BISO. And then, of course, the VCISO is, is kind of an outlier that, that, to me, straddles that maturity curve altogether. Uh, and that's a separate conversation that I think Will's probably got better insight than I do on the VCISO piece. Um, but I would argue that, uh, you know, the deputy CISO role began as more of a state government and university role. I've seen it propagate and I've seen large companies adopt it. Um, I've got a friend who's a deputy CISO at a large clothing manufacturer, for example. So there's more deputy CISOs on the rise. I think we're going to see that one slowly increasing over time. The BISOs, same thing. It's, it's a bigger company, uh, more mature company organization, and it really depends on how the business is oriented and aligned, right? The whole point of a business information security officer is your, your organization is broken up into business units to a degree that you need a, a representative and a specialist from the CISO organization attached to that one business unit, right? The B stands for basically business unit. I've also seen them be regional roles. Uh, I've been a BISO myself at a large education company. It was, uh, I think, about 50,000 employees at the time I was there. And um, I was focused on one particular global business unit who, who made a cloud-based offering to a global audience. Uh, unique line of business for that company. And I was the BISO into that line of business. I did everything a CISO would do just dependent on that one line of business, right? Like contained in that sandbox. Um, and the VCISO role, I think I'll let Will talk about, because I think he's got a, a much better uh, perspective on that role than I do. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because uh, I, I did the same statistics and I don't have near the connections that Alan does, but um, my numbers were much higher on VCCO, VCCO than everybody else, which I, I'm guessing is a result of being a, a consultant for most of my career. Um, and, and you know, the, uh, and I'll, I'll echo, right, the uh, and the reason I found this topic so interesting is I I only saw deputy CISOs in state government early on. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, maybe in the last five years that I started to see deputy CISOs popping up at organizations and, um, you know, really realizing the value. In fact, I think I may have sold VCSO, virtual CISO services to clients before I actually worked with a deputy CISO at a non-government organization, um, you know, interestingly enough. And that's kind of, you know, from the VCSO standpoint, you know, we use the term VCSO. And I think um, from, a, from a salesperson perspective, if I can put on the consulting hat, uh, sales organizations will tend to latch on to a really cool term and go around and sell it. 
And a lot of times they're, they're selling what they call virtual CISO services, but it could be virtual deputy CISO services or virtual BISO services. At the end of the day, uh, what we're starting to see is these organizations, the CISO is busy, right? They're overwhelmed. They have too much work to do, and they literally just need some more help from somebody who is similar to them and has a similar mindset and background. And you know, as, as I've looked to do these type of services for clients, that's really what we provide. We provide that uh, individual who can, to, you know, step into the shoes of the CISO and execute that plan for you, manage this program for you, uh, similar to what a BISO might do or similar to just, hey, you know, being able to have the time and availability to actually work with, uh, you know, work with the BC, work with the BISOs, work with the business, uh, drive these programs and, and get things done, uh, you know, and kind of going back to, if I go back to the deputy CISO and, and kind of talk about the industry for a minute, that's something I think we need to see more of. Uh, our industry is severely lacking in individuals being, you know, in across the, across all roles, uh, across all areas and, and skill levels. But, you know, the, the CISO, I think the, the statistics I last saw, it's like an 18 month rotation cycle, right? Uh, so organizations need to kind of be prepared. And, and if you look now, there's a ton of opportunities. I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're looking for a job and you're a threat analyst, you're, you're hired. <laughs> you know, there, there's opportunity abound for you. If you're looking for someone who, you know, recently transitioned, if you're looking for a job in that director VP level and above, it's, it's, it's harder to, to come by. Uh, and it's kind of scary. I look at these organizations that are, you know, that could potentially, you know, miss, you know, lose their CISO for one reason or the other. And by not having that backup plan, that, that, that person that you're basically, I think, Alan, you said that before, it, we've, as a deputy CISO, you're really just grooming yourself to take on that position. I think most cases I've seen that happen just about everywhere anyway, as, as the deputy CISO eventually becomes the CISO at some point, right? So when it comes to a deputy CISO, how does an organization, let's say you're a CISO um, or a new CISO in the role, or you've been doing it for a while, getting overwhelmed, at what point do you start to realize, hey, I need some help here? Uh, maybe I start with some external support to fulfill this deputy CISO role as I build my business case to bring on somebody as a full-time headcount to fulfill this position. Uh, what does that look like or feel like uh, being in the position of needing that extra support? I think, I think Alan and I would both agree it's probably day one. <laughs> Right. Um, I, I think any any CISO that that takes a job, the first thing they're probably going to do is do some type of assessment, risk assessment, security assessment, get an understanding of where they are at uh, and, and how they have to get there. And I guarantee you those gaps they're going to start to see uh, are going to they're going to lend to themselves to needing people to get that work done. And then they're going to immediately see that, okay, we need, uh, we are probably going to need some more help. Not, now there's definitely some size of business and scale. Um, I, you know, personally, I've only seen deputy CISOs at fairly large mature organizations and the ones that typically have a BISO also where you can kind of give uh, that decentralized authority and, 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 give that information downward. Um, I don't know about smaller organizations. I think that's where things like virtual CISOs come into play a lot more where you can say, you know, I don't necessarily need a full-time person to help me out here, but there's going to be more work than I can get done as one individual. So it's, it's really about assessing that current state and figuring out exactly what it is you've, you've bitten off and, and what you're going to have to chew. I don't know, Alan, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I would agree on that in terms of the um, the need arising from, you know, self-awareness, right? You always have to start with to, do thine own self be true, right? Understand where you are as an organization. Find that out quickly. Do the assessments, do the hard work, do the maturity analysis, get your data in hand, know where you are. And now that you know where you are, you know where you need to focus. And one thing I've seen, and it's not often discussed, but, you know, there, there's there's various artifacts out there floating around on the internet about the types of CISO. And you'll hear people talk about a technical CISO versus a strategic CISO versus a business oriented CISO. And I'm not sure if strategic and business oriented are really needing to be differentiated there, but suffice it to say um, a CISO generally is really strong in one or the other area. It's really, it's really rare to find a, a CISO who's both strategic and technical um, because by the time they've become really strategic, even if they grew up through the technical ranks, they've kind of given a lot of that up. Right. Uh, and I would honestly characterize myself that way. I grew up technical, but <laughs> you don't want me on your keyboard anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, but what you get with that kind of scenario is you've got a role for a deputy CISO who can complement you, right? And this is this is one of the things that often happens. Uh, a highly technical CISO might want a deputy CISO who comes from a stronger business background. A highly business-oriented CISO might want a deputy CISO who comes from a more technical background. So there's this sort of complementing the CISO in the role, not just not just needing help generically, but even strategically sort of deciding what sort of help you need uh, based on the personalities in the team. If you've got the bigger organization, to Will's point, where you've already got BSOs as well, and you've got that distributed um, you know, leadership model, you may be looking at the entire team and realizing, you know, it could even get a little more granular. Um, this guy's highly technical and has managed architects and engineers before. Uh, this is a very business oriented person, you know, with an MBA and a, and a different background and maybe was once an auditor and whatever. And, you know, but, but I'm missing a little bit of pure play GRC focus. So maybe my deputy CISO will be my stronger GRC player. You, you have to look at all the roles on the team that you need. And of course, to Will's point, you're starting with that self-awareness. You're starting with that analysis. You, you may realize that, that, GRC is a long, long down the road consideration versus some of the other stuff you're facing, depending on what your risk posture is, what your risk register is, what your maturity is. You know, you know, I think it's interesting too, because I've seen organizations of uh, multiple sizes where they have that granular complexity. So they'll have the, the GRC umbrella and then underneath there, they'll have teams dedicated to specific areas such as, you know, technical compliance. There's a whole team of people who do nothing but make sure that all of the boxes are configured, you know, in compliance with the, uh, you know, with whatever regulations required. And then I've seen other organizations that have one person in a spreadsheet uh, and they're kind of responsible for for keeping track of everything. Um, so I, so kind of, you know, looking at that, I think, you know, obviously the latter is the one that probably needs a little bit more help, but it, it's clear as you go up in maturity, then you're able to develop and, and manage your business in a much better way. And and I'll, I'll agree with you on the, uh, I, I'm not somebody you want touching the keyboard uh, unless it's to make a presentation uh, these days, uh, you know, but having grown up in the tech space, you definitely lose, uh, lose some of that. And um, I think it, it's interesting too, because I think, I look at, you know, organizations that have a technical CISO, but still that, that individual needs to understand the business, right? I, I had a CISO once tell me that CISO stood for chief inside selling officer, uh, that what they do is they go around to the business internally and talk about, you know, and, and sell the work that they're doing and sell the, the need for security. And if you don't have that relationship skills, you know, the type of people who, uh, when I used to, when I, when I do consulting and I, I'd have conversations with CISOs. I'm usually the one sitting across the table saying, all right, what do you want to talk about? Is it PCI? Is it managed services? Is it uh, penetration testing, vulnerability programs, third-party risk, M&A, whatever. Um, but 
at some point you're going to get into this detailed technical conversation and I'll go get that guy and I'll bring him to the table so you can chat with him. But he's not me, right? He's going to have a different conversation. He's going to come at the ones and zeros the way he knows that, um, you know, they're not necessarily uh, groomed to, <laughs> to, to speak to executives all the time, but they're the smartest people that know what they're doing. And so I think it takes a certain mentality and I've probably gone off on a little tangent here, but it takes a certain mentality to kind of look into things from this leadership perspective. And, and I, it, kind of to bring this all back, that's where, you know, building things like BSOs and deputy CISOs and building that into your organization gives you some career planning as well for what, what we really do need in our industry too, is, is giving these individuals somewhere to go and look towards, not just there's always the CISO position because there's only so many of those, right. Uh, that are out there. Yeah. There's a succession planning component. And, and to my earlier point about, you know, load balancing the capabilities and backgrounds of the various members of the team uh, I've got a model I always use any any level in the organization. As soon as you are a manager of any sort whatsoever, as soon as you become a frontline manager, you've got up, out, and down, right? You've got to be able to communicate up, you've got to be able to communicate out, and you've got to be able to communicate effectively down. So in other words, you have to be a good leader and manage your team. You have to be able to, to your point, sell, and you've got to sell to peers and you've got to sell up. And in security, we sell twice. It should actually be CISSO because you're selling twice. And, and what you're selling is with security, generally speaking, A, you sell the problem, B, you sell the solution. And, and it's, not an easy, um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's, um, it's very often the case that you've got a unique perspective. Your team has ground down on, on all these details. You've got your maturity. You've got your assessment. You've got your risk register. And you're walking into a meeting full of business folks for whom information security risk means absolutely nothing. They've got no context whatsoever. And so... This ties into where you want to get those complementary roles. If, if you're not a good salesman as a CISO, make sure your deputy CISO or your BSOs are good salesmen, right? Um, get those skills on the, in the hopper because they're going to be needed. Yeah, I'll share really quickly. In the first company I ever built a security program for, my manager told me in the first month or so, he said, you realize, Chad, your job is 80% politician and 20% technician. And that stuck with me ever since. And it, it, was, it, it holds true to this day. So as we talk about this thought that goes in my mind, I think other listeners might be also questioning or thinking about is at what point, if you're a large enough organization, at what point do you realize you need to put BSOs champions inside of each business unit? To your point earlier, Alan, about being in a education organization and running some global product, uh, but then reporting up to kind of headquarters and the CISO. And Will, I'd like to hear your experience too about how you split this out between maybe a deputy CISO role, which may also be needed in addition to a BSO, in addition to perhaps even some virtual CISO services to augment. So I'm curious about some of the complexities of that and what that navigation might look like. Yeah, I think with um, looking at uh, you know, the mature organization having the pieces, I don't, you know, I think you can be less mature and leverage that, um, you know, one of the larger organizations I've worked with that has those, that, you know, there's sort of a connotation with the the O at the end, the officer, that it's, it's a really big shot kind of thing. And it's not always the case uh, for anybody that's ever seen public or uh, government ISOs, uh, they know the difference. The you know, the, the BSO really can be a project manager, right. That understands 
their business unit. And then that gives them the ability to, you know, help and under, you know, influence decisions based on that line of business, but also having the technical and, and the, the debt, you know, the, the buy-in for security so that they're not just uh, fighting it. Like maybe their business manager might be in some cases. And I've also seen pretty successfully, you know, when you have that coupled with the deputy CISO, Usually the deputy CISO can kind of manage all of those BSOs because really what most of those individuals are doing is if they've got some roadmap item, right? So going back to that initial maturity modeling we've done, and here's all the gaps we have to fill. You, you give each one of those big projects to one of those BSOs and you let them run with it. And, and yeah, to your point, we've been able to, I've been able to see successfully supporting those types of engagements. You know, when you're engaged with partners, which most companies are at some point, you know, you've, you've got to get some help from somewhere. Having someone to come in and provide you thought leadership on that project you're working on or validate that your budget is accurate so that when the, that information gets bubbled up to the CISO, who's got one slide and 30 seconds to present to the board to get all of his millions of dollars, your, all your information is accurate and you can make sure that things are happening. I like that. And, and I want to point out too, to your original question, Chad, I I think one of the other differentiators and one of the, one of the triggers we'll call it of, of, of when the BISO role becomes so vital a lot of times it depends on the way the organization is is run. Um, if you're in a larger organization, you may not automatically, you know, have a BSO situation. It, it, it partially is based on not just the size of the organization, but the organization of the organization. Because if you've got business units who are distinctly different from one another, let's say that you're working for a large services company, which I've done, um, and you've got a group who is targeting um, – manufacturing and another group who's targeting financial services and another group who's targeting, uh, you know, state government, local government, education, you know, whatever all these things might be. You've got very distinctive needs. You've got very different audiences and very different business purposes for each of those business units. You could also be uh, broken down regionally where the type of business and the methods of business that you're doing in the U.S. are radically different from EMEA in some cases. And so the BSO needs to be there to be sort of your, your air dropping them in and, and the emphasis is on the B for BSO. They truly are a business information security officer. And what that means is whatever region of the business or, or organizational unit of the business that I put you into, you know, Miss BSO, Mr. BSO, whoever it might be, you need to be as aligned with that business as possible, become a champion of that business, be there to represent information security needs, but also be feeding back into the CISO as an organization. Hey, this, this new rollout, this new plan we've got that we're experimenting with doesn't work for my business unit. I've got these additional business specific needs. I've got different business objectives. I've got different business drivers. I've got different business risks. We need to tailor and fine tune what we're doing as an information security organization for my business unit, right? That that emphasis on B, the word business needs to be there in every conversation, every word that they share. Yeah, it's, it's particularly useful when you have organizations where uh, the budget is owned by the business unit and not necessarily the CISO, right? So uh, we've all seen that model where, okay, this this part of the, you know, the, the, the shop floor folks, they have their budget and finance has their budget and security is part of it. And the CISO is going to tell you, you know, what you should be doing, but ultimately they get to choose how to spend it. See, that's another area where that role kind of uh, shines. Uh, additionally, you know, looking at something like M&A, where I, I don't know how many CISOs, I, most of the ones that I know and have talked to, don't usually find out about M&A soon enough, 
right? They they find out after the purchase is pretty much done and now they have to run around and figure out how to go about and make sure that, oh, when we connect this new company to us, that they're not violating any of our policies and we're not causing any more vulnerabilities because of it. And, you know, so there's there's another opportunity to have, you know, that specific business type of role, people who have the M&A skill set, but also, you know, have a, a, a care for security as well, just as an example, right? I've seen exactly. one change in M&A that gets very interesting. And this is a recent trend that I've seen. And that is that somebody from the information security office, be it the CISO, the deputy CISO, one of the BISOs, whomever, VP, you've got somebody in that organization who's got those M&A skills and has some of that background and basically become forward observers. They are getting involved more often now. I'm starting to see in some shops. And the reason for that is, is it's quite clever, actually. If you can get the security audit in there quickly enough and you can jump in and get on top of the M&A before it happens and before it's signed, you can actually drive down the purchasing price if you've revealed enough security uh, awareness in the situation. In other words, hey, we, we did a full analysis and a full audit on you guys. As, as a possible M&A target, we've run you through the full gauntlet, and we've determined that you guys have got a massive deficit in security here, here, and here, and it's going to cost X, Y, and Z dollars to correct. And so we're no longer going to pay a million dollars for your company. We're going to pay 850000 because that other 150 is going to immediately go into fixing and shoring up your security deficits. So as an M&A target, potentially, you know, investing in security now pays off on the sell, right? Yeah, I think we've seen some of that play out in the market, specifically, uh, if you recall the Verizon Yahoo situation as well. Pivoting a little bit here, the virtual CISO, I want to ask Will, uh, you know, your experience, because I know you spend quite a bit of time in this area, and you indicate that you've got some very specific requirements around engaging a virtual CISO. So uh, maybe share with us a little bit some of that criteria and, and what your approach and mindset is. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And this is free advice for anybody who's going to be purchasing any type of uh, CISO type of services or executive advisory services uh, now or in the future. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much easy in the mindset to say, oh, we know we're going to need the CISO. We need some help, but we don't have, you know, 40 hours a week of required work. So let's just sign a contract and do, you know, 15 hours a week for the next three years or the next year or so. And what will happen when you do that is at the end of that contract, you'll get done and you won't know what you did. Uh, you know, because they'll, they'll pick up the phone sporadically and say, Hey, uh, can you help me with this? Or what about that? Or GDPR popped up now we need to write some policies or, Oh, look, we just did an M&A you know, acquisition. We need you to come in and, and do some stuff. Right. If you, that person that that's assigned that role will answer the call and they will certainly help you out, but you won't necessarily know what they did. So uh, for like my service line specifically, anything in that executive advisory space, whether we're doing a virtual CISO or virtual data privacy officer or a BISO, anything like that, we tie it to tangible goals, right? The just, I, I look at it as you are asking us to be your CISO. And if I was going to take the job of CISO, the first thing I'm going to do, we you know, talked about this in the beginning. I'm going to do an assessment. I need to know where we are and where we're going. You know, if you're going to let me drive this bus, I need to know where we're going. So uh, we, I highly recommend, uh, and, and if you work with us, that's, this is a requirement, you'll get some tangible goals, you know, as part of this contract, as part of engaging with this organization to provide these virtual executive services, we're going to drive this governance program. We're going to, you know, refer to roadmap 
uh, and, and drive that, right? We're going to conduct an assessment based on NIST, CSF, ISO 27K, whatever, and then drive gaps to remediate that and improve your maturity level, something like that. You want to have some tangible requirements so that when it's all said and done, one, the, the, as a client, you can say, oh, this is great. You helped me do all of these things. Look at, look at how that, that helped out. Uh, two, you know, the goal of this really is ultimately, you know, whether you're providing services with a company that has a CISO or one that doesn't, you, whoever kind of brought you on board or is running that security program, uh, making them look good. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's that's kind of the job, right? To help improve security, but then also by doing that, those uh, those teams, those individuals, kind of get the bragging rights to go back up and say, "Look what we did! We brought this organization, these people, this team, this whatnot on board, and look at all that we've achieved, and look at how we've improved our security ratings and maturity scoring over time." And that's a really good thing. And I mean, from a consulting standpoint, it's it's what we live for, right? To do successful things. Yeah, and with that, is there different flavors of that virtual CISO? Uh, for example, maybe it's uh, more in the GRC area or other cases, it might be technical, very technical or architecture specific. Uh, you know, given the more complex organizations that have probably more niche needs for, for that virtual CISO. Have you seen various uh, niche roles play out in that capacity? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the the idea of a an, an executive architect, something you see a lot of, especially with organizations doing things, uh, you know, with cloud migrations, sometimes it's, you know, literally a cloud security architect. Uh, you, you need those roles a lot of times because they have to have that balance of understanding the business and why decisions were made. And it's interesting. I was just talking about this today at work while we're building out or uh, updating our training plan. And one of the things we make sure that all of our consultants get in there is you have to understand no matter how technical you are, decisions aren't made based on technology, right? We don't do security for the sake of doing security. We do it for a business reason. So as somebody who's delivering consulting services, as somebody who's filling in these types of roles and driving these programs, they have to understand why decisions are being made and how to influence those decisions and how to evaluate risk, right? So having someone with a deep technical understanding, whether it's in cloud or defense in depth or zero trust, whatever it is, that can also speak to the executives and know what the board's going to care about. You know, that's typically, that's another critical area where we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of need. Alan, any other additional thoughts here before we close out our session today? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because we talked about the M&A trend and the fact that now we're starting to see CISOs getting to participate more in, in the early stages of M&A. Similarly, I think there's a trend with VCISO that, that's, that's come to the fore and just in the last, I don't know, year, year and a half, it feels like. When VCISO started, the assumption was small shops only, don't have their own CISO, need some help. Part-time guy comes in and helps him out and does all the CISO-y stuff you know, on a part-time basis. My VCISO is someone who comes in one day a week or one week a month or whatever it might be. And the reality is, and this is to Will's point, he's given, given some great examples of it, but I'm sort of trying to contain this in, in a model. And that is that VCSO has now ranged all the way from that part-time CISO all the way up to legit, serious, trusted advisor. And all the advice we gave earlier in the call regarding who do you hire as your deputy CISO, as your BSOs, you know, she's good at this, he's good at that. Uh, cross-reference and emphasize and de-emphasize the skill sets that are already on the team, skill sets in the CISO's brain, you know, whatever it might be, the VCSO role becomes very legitimately um, aligned in the same way that you've got all this capability out there now. You have got to 
go to um, your consultants and say, hey, I need a specific VC. So I'm not just looking for somebody to come in and help me out. I've already got all this expertise on my team. Here's my one gap. I need somebody who's an expert in this realm. I need them to help me and advise me. I need them to come in and be a trusted advisor. Um, they could even be a full-time adjunct and working with you for the span of a project, you know, it might be. So so it's, it's uh, it, BCSO is no longer the simple term of part-time CISO that it used to be. It's all over the map. And because it's all over the map as the consumer of VCSO services, you've got that right and that ability to get exactly what you need. Will, any other closing comments you'd like to share before we wrap this session? Uh, no, I, I think that's you know pretty much it from my standpoint. I'm glad you guys had me. It's an exciting topic to talk about. Um, hopefully, uh, we can do this again sometime. If people want to get a hold of you, Will, uh, what might be the best way for them to do so? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as uh, as somebody who got kind of cozy in their old job and then uh, then had to start looking for another one. I, I recognize the flaws in uh, neglecting your network. Uh, so I no longer do that. I make a pretty strong effort to uh, put myself um, there, stay in contact with people. I I'm very much open to helping anybody I can, uh, whether it's help you with the career planning, finding a role, Avanade's hiring like crazy <laughs> for security people. Uh, talk to me first. I will, I'll, I'll make sure you're funneled into the right path. Uh, and if you just kind of, you know, want to chat about security or anything else, let me know. Great. Thank you. And for our listeners, uh, Will's name is W-I-L-L, last name K-L-U-S-O-V-S-K-Y. Uh, you can look them up on LinkedIn. Also. I'll give you the short of it if you want. Uh, the LinkedIn.com forward slash stuff. It's Will Clue, W-I-L-K-L-U. Really easy to find. Perfect. Thank you, Will. Alan, where can people look you up? All right. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and as Will pointed out, uh, being active on LinkedIn is a good thing. And I've, I've taken that to heart. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, AlanAlford.com is another good site. I've got uh, some free resources for the community up there and some other good material. Uh, I'm on Twitter, AlanAlfordNTX, I-N-T-X. Uh, and also I'm the host of the Cyber Ranch podcast, which is available at HackerValley.com. Great. Thank you, Alan. Look that podcast up. It's a new podcast with a great studio. Appreciate it again. And thanks again for joining us in our conversation today on the various roles of the supporting CISO and office of the CISO. It's been a great conversation. I know I learned. I do every time I talk to you and Alan. So appreciate you both uh, chiming in here. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap. We want to hear from our listeners. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss in the podcast or would like to continue the conversation, please connect with us on Twitter at CyberSecPodcast or email us at businessofsecurity at trustsds.com. We want to extend a special thanks to today's guest, Will Klusowski. Our hosts today were Chad Beckman, founder of TrustMap, and Alan Alford, CISO at TrustMap. You can connect with both Chad and Alan on LinkedIn and learn more about TrustMap at TrustMap.com. Our show was produced by Dan Rollins with Livewire Films. You can connect with Dan on LinkedIn and learn more about Livewire at LivewireFilms.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Business of Security podcast. And that's a wrap.